Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download. Hey everybody, welcome to Narrative Live. Uh, our apologies for not being able to do the show yesterday, but we're here today to talk about Ghislaine Maxwell and the extraordinary events of the last uh, 24 hours. She was, of course, denied bail by a judge uh, in a Manhattan court, and now she spent the first night in jail as a, as a prisoner awaiting trial who's not going to get bail. I'm joined tonight by Steve Hoffenberg, who's, as you know, an important witness to everything that Epstein did in the 90s in particular, and someone who knows uh, Ghislaine really well. And Steve, uh, you you really are uh, aware and concerned for uh, Ghislaine's safety tonight. Well, yesterday in court, Ghislaine Maxwell had a shocking day, one that changed her emotional thinking for years to come. The judge remarked that if it was about COVID virus, then maybe there could be a consideration of providing bail. But Jerome Maxwell did not provide any evidence that she had an opportunity to be infected by COVID virus. And her reaction at that moment of the bail hearing or not guilty plea announcement was a turning point for her life where she's now lost her hope. And when somebody loses their hope and they're in solitary confinement in that Brooklyn very large prison, it's just not the right place for her to be right now for security purposes. Right. There is this tension so, between security, her security needs and keeping her alive and also the need for the courts to have her stay in town and not be fleeing. I mean, those are two different things and they are contradicting each other right now. The reason for no bail was that she is uh, a problem for flight risk. Mm. And what she wanted to do was stay in a hotel in the area. And she didn't provide the adequate need for co-signers for her bail and the adequate need for assets for real estate to secure her bail. So there were a lot of missing links to her getting bail and the flight risk question and the COVID virus question turned it all against her yesterday. It and really- now she's in, yeah, she's in shock. She's yeah. in terrible, terrible shock. Now we're learning her a lot about her. Are over. Her dreams are over, but also her life that we thought we maybe knew seems very different from the reality. I mean, you know, she's there she was being guarded by these British security guards um, in a very fancy house just up, uh, you know, two hours away from uh, her ex-boyfriend's place. Also a very, very fancy house. Now, that's not unusual, but the security guards from the former, um, former British Army security guards, that really caught me by surprise. And then when the FBI arrived, they, uh, you know, they, they first entered the property, she saw them, and then she made, she tried to hide from them, you know, which is not really a wise thing to do. But regardless, they, you know, the, this idea that she was cooperating and helping 
um, prosecutors and was ready to be arrested isn't true. I mean, the, she was talking to the prosecutors for a long time, but she was not, you know, volunteering to come in and be arrested. Well, to set the record clear and straight, she wasn't doing any talking to the prosecutors. Her lawyer said mm. in a court filing that the Colorado attorney for Jelaine Maxwell was talking to the Southern District of New York prosecutors since August 2019 after Epstein's death in prison. He has said that. He hasn't said yet what he was talking about. And the question is, what would take place for a year of conversations by her attorney and the prosecutors? I mean, there wasn't an agreement reached. Otherwise, she would have voluntarily surrendered, which is the way the process works. Right, right. You would have expected her to do that. Now, um, I want to play you a little bit of what uh, uh, Judge Alison Nathan, she's the judge in the, in the procedure yesterday, um, she, she had some issues with uh, Ghislaine's application, and, and some of them revolved around finances. So let's take a listen to her. This is all off a phone line, so it's not the clearest, but at least we can get a sense of what it felt like in the courtroom. As an initial matter, the financial component of Ms. Maxwell's proposed bail package appears to represent a relatively small component of the assets available to her and is secured only by a foreign property said to be worth about um, several million dollars. But even a substantially larger package would be insufficient. The extent of her financial resources is demonstrated by some of the transactions and bank accounts discussed in the government's mission and here today. I got cut off a little early there, but basically she says that that Ghislaine has demonstrated an ability to hide and hide herself and her finances. And it does seem that she's got a lot of uh, hidden resources out there, whether it's her family's money or whether it's her secret husband's money or who knows else. It does seem like this is becoming a much more intriguing story than just the crime uh, that is currently already a horrific crime, but the crime that is currently under uh, under charge now, which is basically the abuse of these girls. But there's, there seems to be a lot more going on in Ghislaine's life than we realize. Let's look at one asset. This home in New Hampshire, where she's been for the last year, that was purchased with over a million dollars of cash mm-hmm. by anonymous people supposedly impersonating real people and a lawyer from Boston. Now, how come that million-dollar asset that she lived in for the last year and that was purchased in coordination with her was not on the bail presentation for the support for what she filed in court. That's a good question. Why that, wasn't it? That's a million dollars. Yeah. That should be the first asset put up to guarantee her bail. And it wasn't even put up. Isn't that interesting? So that shows you, that shows you that there's much more to the story that we don't know. Keeping in mind that Jeffrey Epstein's main lawyers are in Boston, Ah. and Jelaine Maxwell used a law firm in Boston to buy this house for over a million dollars in cash that also disappeared now from the bail application. Interesting. Interesting. 
I, uh, I was going to ask you about Boston. Why, why such an affinity for that area? I mean, it's got its own, you know, interesting organized crime history, certainly. Um, not that we're saying she's connected in any way, but there is also this appearance the other day of, a, of an oligarch's uh, yacht just off, uh, off the coast where she, uh, or at least her, her ex-boyfriend's place was. Um, this is a guy who's also been connected to a lot of um, you know, shady people and maybe done some shady deals involving um, celebration involving young underage girls at one point. So um, why was that yacht there? Was it, was it connected to Ghislaine Maxwell? We don't know. But it certainly seems like there's a, a lot happening around Boston that makes Ghislaine very uh, comfortable there. Ghislaine Maxwell seemed to be very comfortable in New Hampshire. It was a 156-acre estate with a beautiful house set up the way she wanted it, and it appeared that she was living a very, very prominent life mm -hmm. as far as having a dream house that anybody would want to live in. Yeah, we took a look at a picture of it right now. It's a, a spectacular property, um, and, you know, and she was under secure guard. I mean, it seems like she had a British Army, uh, former British Army people to support her, who is paying for all of that? Who is bringing, you know, these former British uh, soldiers on, onto American soil? And it's a bit unusual, really, to do that. I mean, she, she's, a, she's obviously uh, a fugitive at that point, but for there to be former British um, Marines there to, to keep her safe seems very unusual. Do you think that's because of her ties to the British uh, royal family? Well, there's no question that she's linked to Prince Andrew in her relationship with him, and she has wrecked Prince Andrew's existence in the crown as a government official. She's yes. destroyed it. She has. Literally it? destroyed Prince Andrew. And now, if she's going to cooperate, which she has no option, she's going to have to give up Prince Andrew and explain everything that he did, the truth. Right, right, right. 75% right, right. of Jermaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein's history have not been told. What about the billions of dollars that they are involved with for all of this time? What about 1987? them? There are, there are tons, there's so much money involved here. Why is it, uh, why, why haven't we learned more about what this money is all about and where it's from? The billions of dollars that Jeffrey Epstein has been involved with, which are Lane Maxwell, that starts in 1987 at Towers Financial and grows and grows and grows is amazing. It actually changed radically when Jeffrey Epstein was let go from Bear Stearns in the early 80s and he became a consultant to Sir, Sir Douglas Lease of right. the UK, a notorious arms dealer and a notorious monetary money mover around the world. A lot of people call it money laundering. Right. And this man, so Douglas Lease, was revenue sharing with Anand Khashoggi, who Jeffrey Epstein, Jerome Maxwell, and Khashoggi, and so Douglas Lease created a very powerful force 
and bringing all these billion dollars together over the decades to come up until today where we haven't been told. I know what happened, but the public doesn't know what happened. I really want to underline that for people because there's a, you know, you've got a situation here where it's not just the arms dealing. It's not just the human trafficking. There is a massive amount of money laundering going on potentially here where you've got all the profits from all the human trafficking and the arms dealing and who knows what else being laundered into the, um, into the economy, into the normal economy. So it's dirty money uh, basically being washed into the economy. And then oftentimes, it seems like, as what happened with the towers, that these, these uh, businesses that they build to launder these monies, the money, crash. And so you get like a Bear Stearns or you get a, or you get a towers where that has significant impact on the economy overall. And I think it's something that people don't realize is that there is a really important connection between your average person's paycheck and your average person's uh, livelihood and this huge amount of money laundering, because it's ultimately your money that's being stolen. It's your money that's being laundered, and it's your economy that's being crashed by these criminals who are doing this kind of money laundering. Jerome Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein are involved with billions of dollars that America has to adjudicate on behalf of all the victims of the crimes. America arresting Jerry Maxwell is the first step of dealing with the billions of dollars. How does a man like Jeffrey Epstein get control over these billions of dollars is the real question. And now his estate says, oh, they happen to have found $635 million of liquid cash. Wow. Now, you know that that's a fake announcement by his estate who's been sued by the Virgin Islands for incorrect reporting of his assets. There's been no audit of the supposed estate that was created two days before Jeffrey Epstein's death. So you don't think the money's I mean, there? Billions. Oh, I think the money is linked. As far as there, there is no there now because there are no reports as to bank accounts and bank balances of holding money in this vast sum that the estate has told this court in the Virgin Islands who's supervising the actual distribution of the assets. There's no accounting. Mm. There's no professional accounting by any ordering firm. All we have today is Darren Indyke, a mastermind of Jeffrey Epstein's relationships and Jeffrey Epstein's closest associate after Jermaine Maxwell and Robbie Gold, a lawyer and his lover. All we have is this Darren Indyke telling a court I think these amounts uh, might be considered as uh, money for the estate, $635 million. Mm. This is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. This is a complete scam. It's a complete scam. There's no basis for Darren White to be the main executor of Jeffrey Epstein, billion dollars. 
And this has to be changed now. Now, we have to have an audit of this estate by reputable accountants, and we have to get Darren Indyke removed from this estate. He's a co-conspirator of Dwayne Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. I'll get ahead of one point that Jermaine Maxwell is going to say publicly to the prosecution. Her part of the $20 million of accounts between her and Jeffrey Epstein has millions of dollars signed by Darren Inbound himself in the transactions of the $20 million. In the majority of those transactions, Julie Maxwell is a signatory or name party principal, and Darren Indyke is a principal name party on behalf of Jeffrey Epstein. Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. And check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and download.